Well, good morning. Um, I'm Don. I'm one of the pastors here at, um, at Baseline. It's good to have you uh, here today on this, uh, this Sunday. Bonnie and Lisa, welcome. Back from, you know, just showed up from Arizona. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Hey, uh, before I jump into a message today, I just, I have to let you know that um, uh, Kathy Settles' uh, sister passed away this last week. So a lot of you know the Settles family, and uh, Robin's been fighting cancer for quite a while, and I know uh, Kathy's been up there a lot the last couple of weeks, but we heard uh, just, I think, on yesterday morning or so that she had passed away. So I thought we'd just take a moment to pray for the Settles family and um, pray for Kathy especially. I know it was really tough for her. So let's pray together. So Lord, we, we do thank you for the Settles family and what an important part of our church they are. And we pray for, um, for Kathy as she mourns the loss of her sister. We pray for uh, Robin's family. I know there are young kids um, there. And so we just pray that your grace and your uh, compassion and your comfort would be with, um, would be with that family. Help them to uh, know your peace through this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, and this has been one of those weeks for me, too, in some ways, that um, I, a lot of you, I appreciate so much your, um, uh, your words of condolences with my mom passing away. We had her, her uh, memorial service on Monday, and it was really a wonderful, wonderful celebration of her life, and grateful for that. And so I uh, have that side of my life with my mom passing away, taking care of my dad still and caring for him, and he's, in, he's doing well. And then on the other side, um, this was spring break for Claremont, and so I was taking my son to college visits. And so I am in that, are we called the sandwich generation, whatever we are? I don't know what we are, but it's, you just feel pulled in two different sides. And so that was my week a little bit. And then getting ready to preach today on this uh, important question that Jesus asks us. We're going through a series on questions that Jesus asked, and we'll look at one today that will we'll hopefully, will probably make us a little bit uncomfortable, okay? So um, if anyone wants to leave before we get into it, then now would, now would probably be the time to go. So <laughs> we'll get to the question. Here we go. It's found in Luke chapter 11, if you want to follow along in Scripture. The, the Scripture's also on the back of your uh, sermon notes, if you want to read along, and, um, and it'll be up behind me. So here we go. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table. Uh, uh, last week, I thought Melissa Berry did a really wonderful job of preaching, and she talked a little bit about how important it was to invite somebody into your house to eat, and that this would not have been just a, a casual invitation, but this is something really, it meant, it meant a lot when you invited somebody to come over to your house. And the Pharisee asks Jesus to come over. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal. And this has nothing really to do with hygiene. This is all about spiritual cleanliness. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. So the question is, is verse 40. You foolish people, 
Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? You see, the Pharisees were really good about making things look good on the outside. They even at this point, when we're talking about this, they would be ones who gave alms. They would be the ones who gave to the poor and all that. But actually on the inside, they're filled with wickedness and greed, Jesus says. They made things look good, like everything was all right. They followed all the right laws. They did everything you thought so that people thought that they were righteous. But it was their heart that wasn't in the right place. And so what Jesus is confronting them with is the fact that you might be doing things on the outside well, but really your heart is far away from me, he would say. And then he goes on, and, and we won't read the, all of these, but basically he, he says six woes to these Pharisees. And, and a woe is actually kind of the opposite of a blessing, right? There's other places in Luke where these are two are right next to each other, actually, this idea of Blessed are you if you do this, but woe to you because of this. And the woes are these. He, he, they, he says, you tithe on the smallest of spices. You forget the important, really important things of justice and the love of God. That You, you, even, you, you take your mint, your little spices, and you say, okay, here's 10% for God, and I'll keep this 90%. And you're doing these little things, but you're forgetting the big things about justice and loving God. And so it looks like you're doing what's right, but you're missing the thing. And then he says that you guys, you desire the most important seats. You think it's all about you and what people see and where you get to sit and in, whether it's in a meal or whether it's in the synagogue or wherever it might be, but that's what's most important is that people see you're in the important seats. And then he says, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which defile those who follow you. That, that the idea is that people in that day, if you stepped on a grave, you were thought, thought to be unclean because of the, uh, the, the dead body that would be below you. And, and so Jesus is saying that these Pharisees are just like that. that they, because people think that you are righteous and they might follow you and follow your teachings and yet you're like an unmarked grave because what's inside is just not right. And then... Um, the teachers of the law, and, and so the way I would describe the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and this is probably a bit too simplistic, but um, Pharisees would be like pastors, like me. I'd be a Pharisee, and I, we all can be Pharisees at times. And the teachers of the law would be like the seminary professors, sort of. They're the ones who are kind of teaching. So then the, the teachers of the law look at Jesus and say, hey, don't you know that you're kind of insulting us when you talk to Pharisees this way because we're kind of like them too? And then Jesus goes, okay, well, let me tell you about you, okay? And he says, uh, you guys, uh, you, lord pe you load people down with burdens than themselves and don't try to help. You, you keep putting more and more things on people, more laws they have to follow, all these burdens on people, and you don't even try to help them with that. And then the sec third, second thing he says to them is that um, you are just as responsible for the deaths of the prophets as their ancestors. They, that the, your ancestors killed the prophets and didn't follow them, and you are doing the same thing now, Jesus says. And then finally, he says that you have taken away the key of knowledge um, from other people. That You're supposed to be teaching people about how to know God, how to follow after God, and you're actually taking that key away from people, and, and they no longer are really getting to know God as they're supposed to. So here in other places, the biggest conflict Jesus seemed to have in the New Testament is with the religious leaders. You would think it would be the ones he would get along with, but he is in huge conflict with them because of their hypocrisy. For the Pharisees, basically, image was everything. 
It was all about what other people saw, that they were in the right places, the right seats, and everything, and it was all about image. Um, some of you might remember this. We're going to show a video right now of, something, of an ad from a long time ago, and hopefully a few of you remember this. Let's see if we can watch this. The, can we do the video now? This isn't exactly the video I thought we were going to show, but. <laughs> Let's not show that video. That's not the link I sent you, is it? Is it really? Oh, that's bad. Okay, let's just show the picture of Andre Agassi then. Okay. That's what happens when you're doing your sermon late Saturday night. Okay, let's just admit it. It's been one of those weeks. I'm sorry. All right. So Andre Agassi. This is uh, Andre Agassi. He was a tennis professional, he, and he is the one for Canon, which was a photography thing. He had this line that said, image is everything. And it became kind of a big thing. It became the biggest, uh, you know, the, the kind of what kind of, did. Now here's the thing about Andre, is Andre is known for his long hair. Andre started losing his hair, which I can relate to. <laughs> but what Andre did, because image was everything, he started wearing a wig. And even at this time when he was making these ads and playing tennis, he would wear a wig. And then there's a story that's in his uh, uh, autobiography that he wrote is that in the French Open in 1990, he, uh, the fiasco happened, he says. The evening before the match, he was washing his wig, which was attached somehow, and it started to fall apart. So he called his brother over and said, hey, I need some help. And so they used clips to clip the wig back together and to have the headband on to hide it. But he says this, says, of course, I could have played without my hairpiece, but what would all the journalists have written if they knew that all the time I was wear really wearing a wig? During the warm-up training before play, I prayed not for victory, but that my hairpiece would not fall off. <laughs> With each leap, I imagined it falling into the sand. I imagined millions of spectators moving closer to their TV sets, their eyes widening, and in dozens of dialects and languages asked, how Andre Agassi's hair has fallen from his head. He lost the final against Andres Gomez from Ecuador. But he was so concerned about what people thought and what the image was on the outside that he clipped on a hairpiece to play in the French Open. So that's what, the, that's what the Pharisees thought about was important, was what you saw, the image on the outside and not what was happening on the inside. So here's some thoughts I have for us on how, how we become modern-day Pharisees. Because let's just admit it, we're not that far away sometimes from the Pharisees. First one is this. Be very concerned about how you can impress others. If you go through life wondering about how can I impress the people around me, how can I make others think I've really got it together, you're on your way to becoming a Pharisee. If it's all about what they see of me and all that, that is what's most important, then I can be on my way to becoming a Pharisee. The second thing would be this. Be just a hearer of the word and not a doer 
of the word. And what I mean by that is, and this is, came out of some of my studies with family ministry and things like that, is that the, the thing that, that, that adolescents growing up, when they would look at their parents, that made it really difficult sometimes to actually follow in the, in the ways of the church and all that, is that they would see their parents studying scripture, going to Bible studies, going to church all the time, and yet at home, we're a very different person than what the scripture said. And, and so that idea of you could, you could be studying the scriptures all you want, you could memorize the scriptures all you want, but if it's not actually affecting your heart and the way you live and the way you treat people, then you're on your way to becoming a Pharisee. Uh, the third thing is, um, is that you surround yourself with people who think that you can do no wrong. Just a bunch of yes people. And there's such great scriptures in the book of Proverbs that talks about how important it is to have people around you that will be honest with you. That can actually say, you know what, Don? That, that's not the way to treat people, or that's not the way to, to answer that, or, or there's a, you got a problem here with anger, or whatever it might be. But it's, it's really important to have people who can be honest with you. And if you just surround yourself with people who say, hey, you're the greatest, you, you could be on your way to becoming a modern-day Pharisee. And then, and then the fourth one is to, is to never look too deeply into a mirror. Stole this from our house. I hope Nancy doesn't mind. But, but you know what? We don't, we don't like to look at ourselves in a mirror very often. Most of the time, it's just, a, for me at least, I don't know what y'all... It's just kind of a quick thing, make sure my hair is in place and go on, man, I'm all right, right. But, but, but spiritually, let's ask ourselves this question, okay? Spiritually, and really what's deep inside of us, do we like to take a good hard look at ourselves? Or is it more of a glance and I'm okay? And... and, and when we don't take a good look at who we are really deep inside, where we don't ask those hard questions about, okay, so why did I respond that way? Or why was I thinking that about that person? Or why do I keep getting caught up in this little sin? Or whatever it might, when we don't ask those hard questions, then we can find ourselves becoming more and more like the Pharisees. And it's more like, hey, my image is okay, and people think I'm all right. They don't know what's really here. And, and until we actually take a good hard look at ourselves spiritually, that can um, slip away. I'll turn this this way so it's not distracting. So it's really easy, I think, to become a Pharisee in our day and age. We can, we can think, oh, we're better than them, we look better than them, we got it together, but we forget about what's really in our heart. So I, I, I thought for a while, okay, what's the cure for Phariseeism. What's the cure? Um, what's, the, what's the thing that we can do that helps them? Anybody have an idea? One word? Yeah. Focus on God, not yourself. Focus on God, not yourself. That's a good one. Any other thoughts on what the cure is? Yeah. Surrendered life. A surrendered life. Good. Any other thoughts on what could be a cure for Phariseeism? Don't think too highly of yourself. Those are all, be observant, good. A servant, be a servant. Yes, that's good. Okay, here's what, I, here's what I came up with. 
I believe the cure for Phariseeism is grace. Truly experiencing God's grace. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So so here's the truth, right? We have been saved by God's grace. And it is not because of what we do that God might accept us. We are accepted by God because of his grace and because of that position and because of where we are, because of what God has done, we can then do good works. We aren't trying to impress God with what we do. We aren't trying to impress anybody else with what we do. We experience God's grace in our life and because of what he has done, because we are grateful for God's grace, we then live a life that is different. So it really is God's grace. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul again is writing about all of his past and who he was and what he did and all these things. And he says at one point that he was a Pharisee and he, was, he followed the law perfectly. And then in Philippians 3, 7, he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. He actually uses another word there, but I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That I'm not trying to gain a righteousness of my own. I'm not trying to do things well so that other people think well of me or anything like that. But I experience the righteousness that is on the basis of faith that comes from God. And that is grace. And so the cure to being a Pharisee is to experience God's grace. Experiencing it in its fullness. And again, we don't experience God's grace only when we make a step of faith and become a follower of Jesus. We need to experience God's grace each and every day in our life. It's not something, oh, I experienced that a long time ago. No, I need to experience that right now. I need to experience it today. So so the the question is then, not how do we uh, make the outside look good, but how do we change from the inside out? How do we really change our hearts so that, yes, we live differently. How, do I, how does my heart actually change? And the, the first thing would be to have honest reflection. Again, taking the mirror example as an idea is that, that I would actually look at myself and my life and my soul and my heart and ask those hard questions. Okay, where, what's really going on deep down? You know, we, we kind of have these circles of relationship in some ways. You know, we have the one circle that kind of everybody sees out there. And then, then we might have a more inner circle of people that may know me a little bit better and they know something about me. And then we have a closer circle of people, you know, husband, wife, family members who, who know me really well. 
But then there is that part of our heart and soul that only God knows. That only God is the one who can take a look at and say, this is who you really are, Don. And that's what the honest reflection needs to be time to time. It's just sitting down and saying, okay, Lord, show me what my heart is like. Don't get rid of all the other stuff, all the stuff I'm hiding and hiding behind and all those things, but show me really who I am. You do that honest reflection. And then that would lead to confession and repentance. In uh, John, 1 John chapter 1, John writes this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, this, this epistle, John is not writing to a group of people who don't know Jesus. He was writing to people who were followers of Jesus. And so he's saying to followers of Jesus, look, we, we don't get it right all the time. There's going to be sin in our life. And we need to come before God and just confess that, and he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So honest reflection, uh, confession and repentance. Lord, this is who I am. This is where I need to change. And then the last thing is that just to have a deep cleaning by the grace of God. Deep cleaning. In the Old Testament, uh, King David was the most powerful man of his day and uh, did some incredible things and did some really bad things. And one of the things that he did was that he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. We probably have heard this before. And to try and cover it up, he tried to get Bathsheba's wife or Bathsheba's husband to sleep with her. He didn't do it, so we actually had him killed out on the battlefield. And it uh, looked like everything was okay. Not too many people maybe knew what happened, and he kind of went through his, his kingly duties and still functioned as the king, and from the outside, people would look at that and say, yeah, you know what, things are good, but inside, there's, he, he knows, he knows what he did. He knows where the condition of his heart was, and everything was good until the Lord spoke to a prophet named Nathan and said, here's what David has done, and so Nathan goes to David. And David's like, oh my goodness, you're right. And then he writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. And I just want to end today by us reading portions of this psalm together. And, and then that will lead us into a time of taking communion. And, and communion is a really beautiful, beautiful practice of reminding us of the grace of God of reminding us of, that Jesus died on the cross and that it's only through his grace that we can experience forgiveness and that we can actually change. But a deep cleansing by the grace of God. So I'm going to sit with you because I'm uh, in much of, as much need of this as anybody. So let's read this together. This is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, 
and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.